football fans, it's now time for the D3Football.com Around the Nation podcast. Here are your hosts, Pat Coleman and Keith McMillan. We're down to the final 16 teams left standing in the 2018 Division III football season. And if any of you are left standing after a Thursday full of football, turkey, probably some form of adult beverages, maybe a nap, we're here to get you all revved up for Week 13 with the second round of the NCAA Division III football playoffs. And you're listening to the D3Football.com Around the Nation podcast, number 226. This is Season 12, Episode 27. I'm Pat Coleman, and the voice you'll hear next is Keith McMillan. That's me, round two to Pat's round one, or maybe the other way around. Yeah, I could totally see myself as a set of mostly boring blowouts. Works for me. Either way, I'm the co-host, the former player from a school still alive along the road to the Stag Bowl. But of more consequence to listeners than where I went is how much better the round two set of games should be than the opening round when only two of 16 games were close. From Bethel at North Central to Johns Hopkins at Frostburg State to Randolph-Macon at Muhlenberg, if we can't get us a wave of playoff-worthy finishes this go-round, I'll be disappointed. That's true, and we'll have a way for you to go all red zone with us on Saturday, which we'll talk about in a few minutes. But, Keith, we alluded to this last week and and in previous seasons that that first round is the one where we eliminate a bunch of the automatic bids, the ones who really don't have a shot to compete in the postseason year in and year out. In the past decade, we have three conferences who have competed in Division III football for the entire decade and haven't won a single playoff game, plus we have one more conference, which is one and nine. So people talk to us all the time this time of year asking why those conferences have a ticket to the playoffs in the first place. And while you and I know that championship access is part of the entire philosophy of Division III, a first round like the one we had makes it much harder to defend. Well, I think you could you could make either case, right? You look at the St. John's Martin Luther score and, and you say that game maybe shouldn't have been played, but you look at what happened with uh, with Randolph-Macon and Muhlenberg and St. Norbert, all schools from conferences that aren't not, they're not top 10, or at least most years they're not. Um, the Centennial is very good conference this year, and, and certainly Randolph-Macon, the upset over a top 10 team, you know, to go, go into John Carroll and winning there, I think um, is a tally on the side of this is why we have the automatic um, bids because, you know, an eight and two team that lost a a game in week 10 to a Midland team from its own conference certainly wouldn't have been one of the first teams in if the whole field was selected at large. May, you know, we discussed this last week, maybe they they were on 32, maybe not, but they they got in, they earned their way to round two. Muhlenberg earned its way to round two. St. Norbert with a 31 to seven win over Trine, which was ranked in the top 15 in, in the poll all impressive wins in round one. And so, um, you know, when you zoom out and you look at the the, the 10 year status of, of the few conferences that haven't ever accomplished anything, it still makes it tough because the, first of all, every, uh, every other conference has done something and you, and you don't want a committee to decide which year your, your Randolph Macon is capable of pulling the upset or which year your 10 and O team from your conference 10 and 0 is not good enough to get in the tournament. So you want to have the doors open to all those teams and then let round one and round two sort the teams out on the field. Maybe we have some listeners who aren't even old enough to remember this and in, in, in a way that blows the mind, but <laughs> there was a, a college football time when everything was done by committee and all the argument was then was let them sort it out on the field. Don't have polls and computer rankings uh, or ratings, no disrespect to our friend Logan, but we wanted to be able to sort as much out on the field as possible. We've got the five weeks of playoffs. You get the 32 teams in. You let them sort it out. And look, after Saturday, three quarters of the playoff field is gone. No matter how good a season they had, you only got eight teams left out of that 32. So it's great to have these two these these games. They're not always going to be exciting, especially in round one when the mismatches are so pronounced. But at the same time, I think – as you sort the the good teams from the others, uh, you know, you get a really good round two. You get probably a great round three. And from here, from where we sit now, I think we've got a handful of teams that could that could be really fun in the uh, in the semifinals and national championship as well. Right. And one of the best things about this system is that nobody who is capable of winning the national title was left out. Nobody was left home who really had a chance to go and win five games and win the national championship. And you can't say that about the thing that's going to happen in uh, in January with all the uh, scholarship players. Moving on uh, back to this week, and I appreciate you dragging me out of my rant and uh, pulling us back into week two a little bit. This is, of course, a week where, you know, we have... Uh, 
Let's see. Some more teams traveling, right? Maybe traveling a little further distance. You have to plan everything around Thanksgiving and an opportunity to have a Thanksgiving holiday for not only uh, the the uh, players on your team who are nearby, but uh, the guys who are coming from much further to go to school. Uh, it That also kind of throws a, a wrench into everybody's prep for this week as well. And if you think that uh, the week one or the first round of the playoffs is kind of a whirlwind. Preparation for this second round set of playoff games is probably even a little bit tighter. The whole thing is pretty bizarre because the rest of the world is is leaving campus or work on Tuesday or half day Wednesday, driving or flying or going home somewhere to be with family on Thursday. Well, you'll be with your football family if you're a player or a coach on Thursday. And, you know, maybe some people go home or you go to a, a teammate's house that lives nearby for Thanksgiving. But then you're right back on campus Friday. You have to travel if you're the road team. Saturday is game day. And, uh, you know, it's a once in a lifetime thing or four times in a lifetime thing. If you happen to go to Mount Union or Mary Harden Baylor, where you get to spend this holiday with your other family and, and you know, you'll have other times to go home. Um, the whole stag bowl will be wrapped up before Christmas. You have spring break and all that. So you can really sacrifice this one holiday. It's weird because the, the school is, is empty and the stands, the student section won't be lively on Saturday. You know, you get you maybe get a few hundred kids coming back, but certainly not the tailgates and the crowd that you would have on a normal on campus Saturday and that you would have in round one and round three. So the whole thing is a little bizarre, but it's also that same argument that we players and former players use for for road trips being fun is that you get to just kind of encircle yourself with your team your teammates focus on the game get away from whatever the outside world is 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 going on there you, you got you bond you relax you get you know you get your mind right around the game and then you know friday night saturday morning comes you get your sleep because all you can do really is just wait and wait and wait and uh you know as much as we complained last week about not being able to stagger kickoffs one of the cool things about the playoffs for the players is that you don't have to wait till late in the day for a game because there's nothing worse than that Saturday where you're just sitting in the locker room, you know, looking over the same stuff you looked over every week and waiting for them to call you out for special teams warmups. Absolutely. We also got this week the uh, list of the uh, 13 semifinalists for the Guardi Trophy. 13, of course, uh, the traditional number of bagels i don't know but not the traditional number of galardi trophy semifinalists i'm going to run down these names here for the next minute and a half and then we'll uh, we'll chat very uh, a little bit about it uh from brockport uh, joe germanario kanan gabley from denison lee anthony reasonover from eureka reese childress from hardin simmons danny robinson from mount union brock rudder from north central jackson erdman from st john's hayden bowserman of shenandoah nick giorgio of springfield lamar carswell of trine harry henschler of uw whitewater matt Sasha of wartburg and eric stevenson from wheaton illinois uh, keith i know that uh, you know you and i have not actually received our voting materials yet as of the time we're recording this or maybe you have but but yeah I, not true it's in my email i haven't opened it, it but oh, i've received it i say i closed my email uh before we uh, opened this up and i uh, i don't have it yet but uh i'm sure it will come eventually either way i don't think you've had a chance to look at it but from the just kind of the list of names i feel like if we've got 13 guys other than the one notable exception there uh, we should have uh, a really good uh, a really good candidate class here yeah, and I think though this past weekend in in the postseason, um, sorted the field out a little bit because you got to see Cardswell, you got to see Reese Nover and um, Matt Sasha against really good defenses. Uh, you know, Reese Childress, same thing. So uh, Kane and um, Gabley, same thing, right? Those those guys got their one chance. They had great seasons, but they got their chance to go up against another elite team in the postseason. And they're all out of the playoffs. Uh, the yeah. Mount Union nomination is an example of what happens, what's different about Division Three than to, um, other divisions where an outside group would pick the nominee, right? This is the player that Mount Union wanted to put up for this award. And Danny Robinson, uh, linebacker for a great defense. But you may have seen one of the all-star wide receivers that Mount Union has, the running back, quarterback. Uh, the cornerback who has five touchdowns. You may have seen them, uh, one, one of the other players from Mountain Union, be the person that 
that uh, would be pulled into this if it wasn't um, school's choice. So I think what we got here is um, we're going to look in on guys like Hayden Bowserman from Shenandoah, who has ridiculous numbers, and we'll have to judge what what a player like that brings to the table without having the, to be able, the opportunity to impress in the playoffs. But then I think you have Jackson Erdman, Joe Germanario, Harry Henschler, and um, Brock Rudder, who all have a chance this week and next to really impress and put themselves over the top for for this award. So, um, you know, we we will always will take into account the upstanding citizen part of the award, right? You're supposed to be a good student, supposed to have some community service, but it's primarily a football award, and these guys have now the spotlight on them nationally. So I think you have four players who have a chance to still influence whether or not they're the Gallardi Trophy winner in 2018. I have two things in reaction to what you said. Uh, one is that uh, as I was, you know, you were ticking off some of the uh, players who participated last week in the playoffs. And it reminds me that as the playoffs started, I had a really decent notion of who I thought might be in the uh, top half or top third uh, or top three of my ballot. And then, you know, Carswell did not do well on Saturday. We didn't expect Reasonover to do well on Saturday, but he really did not. Keenan Gabley, I'm not sure what we expected him to do against Mount Union, but uh, I, he didn't have great, Neither none of those guys I just talked about had uh, had great games in the first round, and Matt Sasha really didn't either. No, and, and look, those are the toughest matchups there, there are in the country, right? You're going against Whitewater, Mount Union, Mary Harden-Baylor defenses. Okay, same time. There's performances like Joe Callahan in a loss to Mount Union where, you, you know, you have a 62-59 game. And and I'm not, I don't even believe that was the same season he won the Gallardi Trophy, but that's just an example of uh, you can be a great player and play really well in defeat. And then there are some of the numbers that, were, that we saw in, in week one where those guys had an opportunity to go out with a bang against great competition. And uh, that certainly wasn't what happened really in, in any other cases. So for me – you know, you evaluate the whole season, you evaluate the guys who didn't participate in the playoffs at all, but I'll be eagerly watching this weekend, Brock Rudder, Jackson Erdman, Harry Henschler, and uh, Joe Germanario. And all those players have a chance to play another week beyond this or two or three. The missing player here is Mark Heath Miller from Mary Harden-Baylor. Mary Harden-Baylor chose not to nominate anybody. And that is, to me, uh, more than a little disappointing. And I've made my feelings known to the powers that be over there um, because I feel like they, uh, they've they chosen to do this for not the right reasons. But uh, it's really disappointing for me. I felt like that's the guy who, assuming his, uh, his off-the-field stuff checks the box, that's the guy who I would vote for right now. Yeah, I, I don't know that we've we ever had... I guess we what, Baylor Mullins was, uh, was in the mix at one point, but... Yeah. It does make this a little bit different than than other awards, right? Because the school has to get behind the player. And that doesn't mean put a campaign together where you email guys like you and I and other members of the of the media every week and you keep updating them with the numbers and you tweet it. It's, it's not really that. It's like the school has to put this nomination packet together where even though this year they don't have to have the letter from the school president, you still want you get an endorsement from the coach the player has to have some kind of community service um, element to to his nomination. So it means he has to have been doing this over the course of the past few years. And most most programs bake that in with their team at some point. But, um, you know, maybe schools don't feel like they can sell certain guys. I don't know. But I, I would like for it as a voter to have the opportunity to take a look at all the best players on the best teams in the country, watch them as much as possible, and that means – uh, not just through week 11, but through the playoffs, as long as these players last. And uh, and then, you know, that vote, we get three playoff weeks, really, uh, before we have to, to put the vote in. Mm -hmm. And so, um, you know, it, it'd be nice to, to uh, be able to factor that in and to not have players where you're like, ah, that guy should be in the mix here. Whether it's someone who's a sophomore or plays a different position or because there's two guys on the same team and the school chose to nominate that guy or because of what you said school just didn't nominate a guy it does make it a little wacky but that shouldn't take away from the uh the the guys who are up for it which i think are actually a pretty good group 
Later on in this podcast, we'll preview each game for Saturday, plus we'll talk with head coaches who had to get teams ready to face a big upswing in opponent quality. We'll chat with Whitworth coach Rod Sandberg, whose team gets on a plane this morning to fly to Minnesota and play St. John's. And we'll also talk with Jim Margraff, whose Johns Hopkins team is getting on a bus to play Frostburg, another team in its own state. And then maybe we'll talk with Keith's cat. But before we do that, I'd like to take this time to mention that the D3Football.com Around the Nation podcast this week is sponsored by the uh, D3 Football Bracket Blitz. We are doing a whip around. We're doing a rip, whip around of second round games. Whip it! Whip it good! Coming up on Saturday, you can find links all over our website and all over our social media for this. It's really a good setup for this because we've got four noon kickoffs and four 1 p.m. kickoffs. Yeah, yeah, we would love to have a, a couple of 2 o'clock kickoffs to kind of extend that out, but uh, it, that's not quite going to happen. We got uh, a really good balance, though, and we're going to have uh, Frank Rossi and James Baker kind of take you home, take you around to all of the key points of all of the key games. Thanks to the folks at the NCAA and the folks at Turner who are allowing us to do this for a second consecutive year um, because that is something that uh, they control the rights to and uh, we're super happy to have this uh, to have this thing to do. Keith, I'm not going to be on the show this year. I've already committed to go up to St. John's to see the St. John's Whitworth game, but uh, maybe I'll be chiming in via Skype or something like that and uh, it should be uh, it should be a good as you said, good second round of games. Yeah, and the better the games are, the better that Bracket Blitz show will be. But it's always cool, especially if you either don't have a school in the mix or or if you place and your game is either over, out of hand, or, you know, whatever. And you want to know what's going on elsewhere. Now, this is the beauty of being in 2018. Pat, you and I have been on game sites where they would call each other, write the score down, pass the paper down to the guy with the mic, and they would announce it over the loudspeaker and by that time you know like three more touchdowns have been scored in the game and nobody knew unless they had b3football.com up on their, their computer so now you're, you live in a time where you can watch a couple guys who know what they're talking about and Frank and James guide you through the the games that are going on elsewhere basically the same way we would you'd see it on on television in another division it's that same experience and that's um, that's what you that's what you need, what you want. If you're if you're again, you know, you could be freezing in the stands at Muhlenberg, or uh, you could be at St. John's, and the Whitworth game is out of hand, and so you just want to see what's going on with who you're going to play next week. You know, you got it right there in your hand. Uh, you know, assuming um, you paid your phone bill this month. <laughs> when you're talking about uh, the way things used to be done in the old days, my favorite kind of that kind of moment is the uh, 2001 semifinals. You and I have just finished, I believe it's you and I, have just finished calling the uh, St. John's game at Mount Union, and that was not a game in, in, the, Terrible. Uh, in the competitive uh, standpoint. It was a pretty bad game. But uh, there was this fantastic game going on down at Bridgewater. Rowan was playing Bridgewater, and uh, you know, once our broadcast is done, we kind of uh, flip on over, load it up in the browser, and listen to the final seconds of Pat Cummings calling you know, this fantastic and then eventually discovered to be controversial finish of that uh, Rowan Bridgewater game. Yeah, to be honest, the further we got down the week, it was no controversy at all. It just said basically that uh, happened. Rowan got jo- Rowan got jobbed in that one. Uh, and at the time, we didn't know it or we didn't react fastly enough. And um, there was a, you know stories swirling around whether Bridgewater was going to pull out of the Stag Bowl and all this stuff. But it, long story short, uh, the clock stopped in that game. For those of you who don't know the history. Uh, on the play before the final play, Bridgewater threw a, a long bomb from midfield, completed it to the one-yard line. The clock stopped before the quarterback let the ball go with one second left on uh, on this long bomb. So um, they get an extra play. They score the touchdown, the extra play. Rowan noticed it at the time, and their coach, who was um, known for being – abrasive is not the word, but just a character, I guess. You know, So maybe – uh, him complaining about this moment was totally justified of uh, complaining about. Uh, you know, the refs were were blowing him off. But in in 2018, you know, maybe we'd have had all those those uh, camera angles right away, or maybe we wouldn't. But you'd at least, if you had the bracket blitz on, you'd have James and Frank going, "What in the world just happened?" Blah blah blah. You know, and that would be kind of cool to see. So, uh, especially if your game, the the one you're at, gets out of hand, or if you're driving home from it or if you just want to know all right who are we playing next week and how good are they tune in 
We'll put the a link to that video. That's a that's we the shorthand for that game is the time stood still game, and uh, we've got a, a video of that that uh, we can show you. We'll put that in the link on the podcast page. It's time for our eight games to watch. There's no point in limiting ourselves to six games to watch when we have eight games, so we're going to preview all eight games in the round of 16 in the Division Three football postseason bracket, and that includes uh, contributions from our colleagues Adam Turr and Frank Rossi. I'll take the UMHB bracket this time around, where Mary Harden-Baylor is hosting Barry and Whitworth is traveling to St. John's. But before we get to either game, I chatted with Whitworth coach Rod Sandberg this week, and here's that interview. And now on the D3Football.com Around the Nation podcast, we're joined by Rod Sandberg, the head coach at Whitworth. His team in the second round after advancing past Claremont Mudscripts in the first round this past Saturday. Coach, thanks for joining us on the podcast. I think this is your first time on the podcast, although we have talked many, many, many times. Well, I uh, appreciate you having me. Yes, I've enjoyed uh, our relationship and really appreciate all that you do for Division Three football. We really appreciate that. Uh, it has been, uh, of course, for you guys, a, uh, a chance to participate in the playoffs, whereas for you in many previous years, you had a, a, a front row seat as an observational post, I guess, as a member of the National Committee. What's it like now being in the playoffs and having had all of that experience and knowing how the things work in the postseason? Yes, that was extremely helpful to, you know, get to watch some of the best teams uh, at the Stag Bowl, uh, how they prepare, how they practice, uh, and the game itself to see, you know, this is the level you have to be at, um, and then just how you approach things. So uh, definitely an advantage. You know, we did make the playoffs in 2015, uh, but we're on the road, didn't make it out of the first round, and then now this year to host a game and then uh, proceed to the second round, uh, very beneficial. Of course, not only participating in the playoffs, and as you mentioned, advancing to the second round, advancing and doing so on the road, playing at St. John's on Saturday. So this is a new experience for you guys as well, uh, getting in a plane. So tell us a little bit about travel arrangements and what that's like here on this Thanksgiving week. Well, uh, pretty exciting for our guys to you know travel across the country. Um, I pulled my guys yesterday. I said, how many have been to the great state of Minnesota? And it was about a third. So several will be their first time uh, to Minnesota. Uh, they're excited. Uh, but yeah, just working with the NCA and all the details of um, getting a charter plane and buses here, buses there to a venue you've never been to before. Uh, definitely exciting and trying to do that over Thanksgiving break where a lot of people are, are shutting down. Um, but man, when you get a chance to play football um, and over Thanksgiving break, you do whatever it takes. Yeah. And so what's Thanksgiving Day like for you guys then, since it's before you're traveling? You know, we want to be conscious of them. And so we're going to get up and practice in the morning um, and, and meet and then give them the afternoon off. We got every single guy on our team a place to go off campus in a home, have a Thanksgiving meal, watch some football, put up their feet and relax. And uh, then they'll get back here bright and early the next morning. We'll jump on a plane and head. I, uh, it just occurred to me that the, only because there's now a third game on Thanksgiving Day that you guys on the West Coast get to watch afternoon football on Thanksgiving Day. That's exactly right. Uh, our guys are excited about that. So how many kids are like from your general area and how many are, you know, are, so are like are able to go to their own home and how many are like would have been traveling this week and would uh, you're putting up somewhere else? Yeah, great question. Um, I would say only... Uh, about a fifth of our team is right here in Spokane. Many on the west side in, in Seattle area or the Portland area, uh, California. We have 19 guys on our football team from Hawaii. So most of them would not be able to go home. Pretty expensive plane ticket just for a four-day weekend. So uh, there's a lot of guys here. We're finding places to go. All right. So you guys went through this run. Of course, you ran the table in the Northwest Conference and uh, got back to the playoffs, got past Linfield uh, somewhere midseason and and finished your way through with a, a couple of games at the end of the season against maybe the uh, the teams that are not traditional contenders in your conference and then have to kind of ramp it back up for a first round playoff game last week. So how did you kind of maintain that intensity with your guys? Great question. Um, you know, after game eight, we had clinched the conference championship, clinched a national playoff berth. We kind of drew a line right there and said, man, through eight games, we've accomplished a lot. Now we're going to start the second half of our season. There's only a uh, possibility for six games um, and just kind of re regrouped for that last game. I thought it was it was a pretty sharp game. 
and, and then obviously now heading to the playoffs. So I think kind of just that mindset of, okay, we've accomplished this, but now we want to go accomplish more. Let's not coast into the playoffs. Let's uh, really accelerate into the playoffs. Uh, and played really, really well in that last game. And then, uh, um, you know, we just want to build because every round of the playoffs, you're going to play a, a tougher opponent. Yeah, it definitely ramps up this week. You know, you guys faced Claremont Mudscripts in the first round, which was without a couple of its uh, a couple of its big weapons on offense. And now you're at St. John's, which seems to have not only you know all of its weapons on offense, but guys to spare. Very, very talented team. Very deep team. Uh, you know, you there's no weakness. The running backs are good and deep. The receivers are talented. The tight ends are huge. The offensive line, you know, just across the board. So, uh, you know, they're number three in the country for a reason. They're a very, very talented football team. And then defensively, uh, they just get after you uh, very fast to the ball. Yeah. So for the challenge for Leif Erickson, for you guys in the uh, in at the quarterback position is to get rid of the ball quickly, I suppose, or some semblance of that. What is uh, what what are you guys seeing in that in that regard? Well, sure. Now, I think the thing you have to be is yourself. You know, we we got this far, you know, playing pirate football, our style of football. Uh, so we don't want to change that. Now, each week you see, you know, where are we going to tweak this and do that? But uh, we need to be ourselves. We need to just play within ourselves. You know, we got some pretty talented players on offense as well. Um, so I think we just really want to stay true to who we are. And, uh, yeah, I, I think we have emphasized for our quarterback, um, uh, we need to not hang on to the ball, get it out quickly. The one thing our offensive line has done all year is really protect him. Well, and so tell us, you mentioned stay true to who we are. So tell us a little bit about who that is and what kind of uh, personality or, or whatever this uh, this team has. Uh, this football team loves to play the game of football. Uh, they love to go and compete. They have tons of energy, such a privilege for me to be part and watch them each week. Um, you know, offensively, uh, we're pretty balanced. Uh, we can run and pass. Um, and, uh, we want to really, the way our offense is designed is for us to take advantage of where you're not. So if you're defending the pass, we want to run. If you're in the box, we want to throw simple reads for our quarterback, you know, count the box and go where we're, where we have the numbers. And then defensively, we just, we're pretty aggressive. Uh, I think we might lead the nations in tackles for loss. And we got some guys up front that uh, have some pretty good athleticism and speed. And we just want to get after people up front and force quick throws. What's the weather been like for you guys up in Spokane? It's been gorgeous. Uh, the game Saturday was just phenomenal. Um, and, uh, you know, we've been looking at the temps uh, in the Minneapolis area and it's pretty similar. So uh, I think what we're practicing in is what we're going to play in on Saturday. You are not, uh, of course, the only Wheaton grad who has a team still alive in these playoffs. Uh, Pedro Aruza, who's a, a 95 Wheaton grad, is the head coach of Randolph-Macon. I don't know if you guys uh, overlapped or if he was a player when you were a coach. I, I think we've maybe talked about this before, but do you guys uh, chat at all? And have you talked at all about the fact that you guys are still playing in these in this postseason? Definitely. Coach Pedro, uh, consider him a close friend. He's a phenomenal football coach. Uh, we talked, obviously, before the playoffs, and then we talked Sunday night, uh, extensively Sunday night, about how to handle a Thanksgiving practice week, uh, what's best for your players. And, you know, it's just such a different uh, week um, that how do you maximize that? Uh, so, yeah, it's been a great resource to have him. And that's something that you guys dealt with when you were on the staff at Wheaton. Yeah, absolutely nothing better than playing, <laughs> practicing football on Thanksgiving Day. Uh, I know our guys are excited. We got about a bunch of alums coming out and parents to watch. And um, But yeah, uh, so I have had some experience uh, in the past. Uh, I'll never forget one year on Thanksgiving Day having to go out and shovel off the field just so we could have practice. Um, uh, so fun. Traveling by air this week is always a pain in the rear end, but uh, traveling by charter means that not only does Whitworth get to fly direct from Spokane, Washington to St. Cloud, Minnesota, but they also get to skip the regular ticket counter. That will be huge just from a travel hassle standpoint. About this game between St. John's and Whitworth, Sandberg is correct in that the Johnnies have a lot of weapons on offense. That There are no slouches on defense either, and anyone who's looking at video of just the past three games isn't going to see much of Nathan Brinker, who was named the MIEC Most Outstanding Defensive Lineman, but missed the past two games and played sparingly against Hamlin the week before. 
With a non-conference game and an easily beatable first-round opponent, St. John's has been able to give him a couple of weeks of rest after his 16.5 tackles for loss and his seven sacks in eight-plus games. When you guys see my quick hits pick later on Friday, you'll know how I feel about this game on a more numeric basis, but I don't think this matchup bodes well for the Whitworth offense. On the flip side, Whitworth will be facing its best passing attack since the Chapman game and will need to get more than two sacks worth of pressure on Jackson Erdman. This will be a big challenge for Whitworth all the way around. In the other game, Barry is playing in the round of 16 for the second consecutive season, which is great for this young program, but the Vikings will be playing a team which is in the round of 16 for the 15th consecutive season when they travel to face number two ranked Mary Harden Baylor. Barry is still learning what it's like to compete later in the playoffs, and while a late touchdown last year made their second round at St. Thomas look decent, UMHB probably has enough speed to make late scores a non-factor in this game as well. Even with the crew's propensity to grind the clock if they get an early lead, I'll expect it to be tough for the Vikings to get enough points on the board. Backup quarterback Heath Birchfield got the start for Barry last week with Tate Adcock out because of injury. So if Adcock is not able to go, at least Birchfield isn't going in cold here in round two. But the step up in opponent for Marysville's defense to UMHB's defense will be a challenge regardless of who is behind center. Joey Connors and C.J. Stone have been pretty effective as a 1-2 combination in the backfield for Barry this season, although of late it's been more Connors. And of course, Key will be slowing down the UMHB offense, especially a running attack which averages 255.6 yards per game. Only half of that comes from standout Markeith Miller, as circumstances have allowed multiple guys to get reps, but Miller will be the focus of all the attention. Now to look at the UW-Whitewater bracket, here's Adam Turr. In round one, we saw what kind of difference time of possession can make. The North Central Bethel game will likely be decided by which offense holds the football longer, but there will not be an upset here. This is the most evenly matched game in the second round, at least based on the final top 25 poll of the season. The Royals, ranked number 11, have a ball control offense predicated on the rushing attack, led by freshman quarterback Jaron Rosti and sophomore running back Sam Gibbis. Rosti rushed for 150 yards and three touchdowns on just 10 carries in the round one route of Wartburg but he completed just 3 of 12 passes for 36 yards. Still, the Royals completed 50% of their third downs and 75% of their fourth down tries. They will need to be even more efficient in round two in order to keep Brock Rudder and the North Central offense sidelined. The Cardinals, ranked number nine in the poll, have piled up more first downs than any team in Division Three. They lead the nation in third down conversion percentage. The offense averages over 500 yards per game, and it's far from a one-man show. Rudder passes for over 300 yards per game, tossing 29 touchdowns to just three interceptions. On top of that, the deep rushing attack keyed by Ethan Greenfield, Dom Mahalo, and Terrence Hill posts over 200 yards per game on the ground. The Royals held St. Thomas's potent offense to just 15 points and 287 total yards in its Week 11 win to clinch a Pool C berth. They followed up that performance by holding Wartburg to just 248 yards and 14 points. Does the Bethel defense have another outstanding outing in its tank? If the Royals have to play from behind, can Rosti get it done through the air in addition to on the ground? North Central has the talent and experience to defeat any team in the nation, but has a perplexing 22-point home loss to rival Wheaton and three other close CCIW wins on its ledger. The second round, as usual, will be more entertaining than the first. But of this Saturday's eight games, Bethel at North Central should be the one to watch. Contrasting styles create a true toss-up between two of the nation's top teams. St. Norbert's defense carried the Green Knights into the postseason, then to the program's first playoff win since 2003. The opportunistic defense has outscored its opponents over the past two weeks, first holding Monmouth to one touchdown while scoring its own on a Ben Kornowski pick six in a 10-7 Midwest Conference championship game victory. In round one of the playoffs, they shut down the nation's leading rusher, Trine's Lamar Carswell, holding him to 110 yards on 32 carries and keeping Trine's offense out of the end zone. Linebacker Matt Gergone scored two touchdowns for the Green Knights defense on consecutive snaps, first with a pick six, then a fumble recovery. A taller task awaits this week. You may have heard, but Wisconsin Whitewater is back. The Warhawks have an even stingier defense, allowing just 7.8 points per game. Their offense puts up over 35 per game. The Green Knights will need to get off to a fast start. Good luck, as Whitewater has allowed just 23 first-half points all season. Pressure will be on the St. Norbert defense to stop the Warhawks' multifaceted attack, even if they can succeed in slowing running backs Alex Pete and Ronnie Ponick, who have combined for 27 rushing touchdowns, they will have to stifle quarterback Cole Wilbur. The third-year starter is having his best season as a senior with a passing efficiency of 159.3. The Green Knights thrive on takeaways, getting the ball back 35 times this season and returning eight of those for touchdowns. The Warhawks have turned the ball over just 12 times. 
St. Norbert has not faced an offense like this yet this season. The trouncing of Trine was a mild upset. Upending the Warhawks in Whitewater would be a stunner. I'm really looking forward to how that Bethel North Central game goes. As of the time of this recording, I haven't yet decided how my pick is going to go in Friday's quick hits. Keith, take it away on the Mountain Union bracket. All right, let's quickly review. Mountain Union beat Denison 60-0. Center beat WNJ to advance 54-13. Those two teams will play each other. Randolph Macon beat John Carroll 23-20. And Muhlenberg beat Delaware Valley 20-13. And the only two good games, close games, or close finishes of round one. And in the top right bracket, normally we wouldn't spend a lot of time on a center at Mountain Union matchup, but this has the potential to be intriguing because there are injured quarterbacks on both sides. Quarterback Jake Keeney, a sophomore, started for the number one ranked Purple Raiders in place of the injured D'Angelo Fulford in round one, and center hung 54, partially with Tanner Young and partially without, in its first round game against Washington Jefferson. The Colonels have scored 40 or more points five straight weeks and seem to be peaking offensively at the right time. Defensively, if you read D3Football.com this week, you learned about center lockdown corner Cal Llewellyn, who will have his hands full with Jared Ruth or Justin Hill or Cole Moxie or whoever he runs up against this week. Fulford's ankle injury might, might be the reason that Keeney gets the start again. He was pressed into duty in high school in Northern Virginia when the backup transferred just before the season, and the sophomore stepped in last week instead of Ernie Burks, who is not quite the same level of thrower. Keeney, however, is inexperienced and won't play as mistake-free as Fulford, but Mountain Union's defense, save a 24-point outburst in Week 7 or 8 against Ohio Northern, they've had no trouble with any offense it's faced all season. Cornerbacks Lewis Berry and Gabe Brown have been standouts. The versatility of safety Nick Brish matters, and the front six for Mountain Union does what it always does, makes it impossible to run, gets pressure on the quarterback. Center played both Tanner Young and John Walton last week, as we mentioned, in, in Round 1, and they'll need to score early to keep this close. Mountain Union would love to get an early lead, then lean on its running game and defense to salt it away. When these two teams met in the 2011 second round, the 30-10 Mountain Union final score was kind of underwhelming by their standards. And if center only puts on 10 on, up 10 points on Saturday, I think we'd be similarly underwhelmed. Nobody expects Mountain Union to lose here in round two, but the chances of it being a watchable game are greater than zero. Meantime, Randolph-Macon and Muhlenberg will battle for the right to play a watchable quarterfinal against Mount Union, most likely, in the feel-good game of the second round. Either a team that lost its second game of the season in Week 10 or the team that was almost certainly the last in the playoff field will advance into the round of eight. We talked a lot in the Monday podcast about the type of team the Yellow Jackets are and how that played into their first-round upset of John Carroll. So if you haven't heard that yet, go back and listen to it. But the Mules are balanced. They only have uh, 15 turnovers in 11 games, and they don't give up many sacks. Offensively, they're able to throw the ball, run the ball. And the Yellow Jackets, they'll try to control the line of scrimmage and the clock as they lead D3 in time of possession with an old-school mentality blended into a new-school offense. The Mules, though, withstood a 13-0 deficit last week, came back to tie that game against Delaware Valley. They overcame a first quarter in which they only gained 14 yards. And then, of course, as we all know, especially if you listen to the last podcast, uh, Muhlenberg returned an interception for a touchdown with 35 seconds to win on the road last week, and they should be much more comfortable playing a possibly less talented opponent at home. Thanks, Keith. We're going to move on to the bottom right-hand bracket, but before that, I had a chance to chat with Johns Hopkins head coach Jim Margraff. And now on the D3Football.com Around the Nation podcast, we're joined by Jim Margraff, the head coach at Johns Hopkins University. His team advanced to the second round on Saturday, getting past MIT by the score of 49 to nothing. First of all, Coach, uh, thanks a lot for taking the time. I know it's a, a compressed week and really busy, so I appreciate it. Uh, sure, Pat. We appreciate all you do for uh, Division Three football. So suffice it to say that uh, Johns Hopkins has really bounced back well from that uh, Susquehanna loss way back in week two. Yeah, our guys have played well, and we've been in those situations before. Um, yeah, we, we played a very good team. Uh, we made a few mistakes during the game. They played very well, and um, yeah, we had a, a short field goal at the end that we missed. So I, I think our guys saw that uh, you know every team in our conference is a challenge week in and week out, and that we had to clean up some of the things that we were doing. And uh, yeah, we, we, we've played very well since. So we, we've had a couple of tough games, uh, but at this point, um, you know, we're, we're certainly happy to. Uh, yeah, hey, I've won our conference, got the automatic uh, bid, and uh, be in the playoffs. Early this season, you told Adam Turr that the reward for winning a big game is you play in a bigger game the next week, and that uh, kind of truism doesn't get any more accurate than it does at this point of the season, does it? Sure, and I said that I said that throughout the season, and obviously when we headed uh, when Muhlenberg came down here, we headed to that game. Uh, you know, that, that's that's been a huge game the last few years, and, and, uh, and no different this year. But 
you, you can't, you know, after you drop one early in the year, you can't lose. And, uh, yeah, at this point in the year, it's, it's great to make the playoffs. You know, the, the only bad thing is only one team finishes their season with a win. So you get to that win and go, win or go home attitude. And, uh, yeah, it's exciting. So our guys have been, been focused and locked in. And uh, certainly when you get to the final 16, 16 teams in the country, you've got, uh, you've got some terrific opponents out there. Yeah. Is it something where you wish you might have had like a, a stronger test to prepare you for Frostburg on Saturday? Or is it a situation where maybe you're more glad for the chance to rest your starters for a bit in the first round game? No, we've been in those games throughout the year. We, we start off with Randolph-Macon, again, had uh, Susquehanna, Muhlenberg, F&M. There's a lot of teams in our conference that are very tough. And, um, yeah, I feel our guys, have they, they've, they've taken each game as a, as a zone entity and, and really have, have prepared for it. So uh, we're hoping to be uh, you know, a little more healthy than we've been the last few weeks. And uh, we've got a, you know, a, huge, uh, a huge challenge this week with Frostburg. Yeah, um, I know it's early in the week as we record as we record this, but what have you seen from Frostburg so far in scouting that you want to be sure to address? You know, a lot of times it's just how you match up with certain teams, and uh, you know they're they're good all the way around. One, they're well coached. I think they do a really nice job with their schemes for the talent that they have. That uh, they, they really highlight some guys that are very very good. But uh, the thing that jumps out at you, they're very fast on defense, very aggressive uh, offensively. They got some playmakers. Their quarterback's excellent. So uh, it's going to present a lot of challenges. And like you say, it's early in the week for us too. Uh, as we try to put this plan together. But, uh, you know, it should be a great game. We're, we're excited to head out there and, and see what we got. And you guys are playing on Thanksgiving weekend for the sixth time in the past decade. What are these weeks like for you and your players with all of the uh, with all the extra things that go around around the holiday? Yeah, it is. A, it's, a, it's a challenging situation to manage. And uh, it's certainly a lot easier when you're at home. Uh, but a lot of our guys, you know, live not too far away. And we have a lot of guys from all over the country, too. So, mm-hmm. you know, people head out. We'll, we'll, we'll make sure they get some time to spend spend with their families on Thanksgiving. Um, and, you know, Frostburg's not that far away. So I, I think it'll work out fine. But we try to reduce practice a little bit. The roster's not as big. A lot of our guys have gone home. Uh, we want to stay healthy at this point, too. And as, you don't need to to practice with the same intensity as you did earlier in the year, but you still need to practice with some intensity. Mm-hmm. So uh, I think we've got this mapped out pretty well. We've done it for a number of years now. And, uh, you know, we're excited about the second round and, and excited. It's great to be playing football around Thanksgiving. That's for sure. And you raise a question that makes me wonder. So, you know, out of your roster of 100 plus players, you can only dress 58 on Saturday. How many guys then do you have practicing in a week like this? There's a few guys that will stick around, but it's not much more than that 58. We'll probably have 65 guys here. Uh, and our, our roster might change during the week, depending on our opponent and who's healthy and things of that sort. Mm-hmm. So, so again, practice changes as greatly from what we do during the season, but, uh, we've been through this for a couple of years now. We're, we're comfortable with, uh, with how we're moving forward. Is that different on the, uh, on the non-holiday week, like in the week pre- preparing for the first round matchup game, would everybody be participating? Yeah, it's completely different. Yes. Everyone practices that week and, and you can do exactly what you've done the entire year. So this one, this is a little bit different. Like I said, too, but some of the guys will probably travel home to, to see their families and bring some of their teammates with them. Uh, some guys will stick around and, and uh, they'll, they'll come out with me on Thanksgiving Day for a little while. Some guys just want to really hang around, study and, and rest a little bit. But uh, again, we, we've done this for a couple of years now. And, uh, but it's very different. It's very different from, uh, from the weeks we've had previous. Tell us a little bit about David Tomorrow as a, uh, as a quarterback. Now, what's he, what's he improved on here in his second year as a starter? You know, what is he, uh, what's he doing for you guys right now? He, he's improved in so many ways. I mean, he, he, he was a, a very good player as a sophomore. He, you know, he won the job last year in the very first game versus WNL. We thought he'd throw like 12 or 14 times. I think we ended up throwing almost 50 or 60. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, he's used to uh, having to carry us a little bit, but uh, he's gotten better and better. He's gotten physically stronger. Uh, I think he's got great command of our offense right now. He and our offensive coordinator, Greg Cabrera, on the same page. And, um, it's at the point now when he comes up the field and you say, why do you throw this? He'll tell you exactly what happened, you know, who blitzed, you know, where the safety went to, you know, what the attitude of the corner was. So uh, he's really playing at a high level at this point. And, uh, yeah, and that's what makes us go. At this point, you really you need a hot quarterback, and hopefully we have that right now. I suppose I shouldn't be surprised either that a quarterback at Johns Hopkins is a smart quarterback from what you just described. <laughs> yeah, they're, they're all pretty smart here, that's for sure. Sometimes it doesn't always translate from uh, the clash into football, but in his case, it certainly does. <laughs> I have to ask about Stuart Walters also. I joked about this with uh, Keith on our most recent podcast that it seemed like he'd been around forever. And, and as I was looking at his bio to refresh myself, I realized that you guys had uh, you got him back this year after he missed the 2016 and 2017 season. What happened there? What's his story? 
Uh, we're, we're happy to have him back. He was he was back in school last year, and um, you know just taking care of some some self and some other things, and uh, getting ready to graduate as a civil engineer. And you know, again, it was just great to have him come back to to uh, to our team this year. He's played very very well, uh, as all our running backs. So he's been a great addition. Without giving away any state secrets, what should people be looking for in the Muhlenberg Randolph Macon matchup? Considering you guys have played both of them this year, I think it's a great matchup, and and I don't know. Uh, yeah, I, I haven't seen Randolph Macon since week one, but I know they have a lot of talented guys running around. And I, I say this all the time, the, the first week of the season is always a crapshoot. You never know what you're going to have uh, as far as, you know, just what the other team is going to do offensively and defensively. Uh, to me, it's in a lot of ways, it's a preseason game. Of course, you want to win it, but you also want to play well. And you know, we'll rotate some linemen in sometimes if we haven't decided on who our starting starters are. And I'm not sure if, 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 uh, if Muhlenberg and, uh, and Randolph Macon do the same thing. But they're both excellent teams. They both have some playmakers. Uh, I thought Muhlenberg was terrific when they came down here. We were fortunate to jump out early on them and and uh, kind of hold on at the end a little bit. But I think it's going to find two really well-coached teams and, and two teams that are excited to be in the second round, that's for sure. So uh, I, I think it'll be a great game. Yeah, absolutely. That should be one of the great games of the second round. Uh, talk to us a little bit about your defense, because I've asked a couple questions about offense, and I want to make sure we talk about the other side of the ball a little bit. Yeah, we've, we've got uh, we've played well. I, I think we're one of those teams that are a little bit undersized, but we're very fast. Our kids are aggressive. Um, we've got three captains on defense, two guys in the secondary, Addison Quinones and Michael Curry, who played very, very well for us over their careers. And then a junior, Michael Kalonix, our, our defensive end. And, uh, you know, he's, he's a, an emotional leader and, and does, does a great job. And Anthony Davidson, also a defensive tackle for us, who's a, a co-side academic All-America last year and I expect him to be again this year. So we've got some, some great kids, some good leaders. And uh, again, uh, they've, they've played well. And we made some adjustments. We gave up some points in the first two games, uh, <clears throat> made some adjustments, uh, had to make some adjustments player-wise also, personnel-wise. And uh, we've we played very well since. Yeah, we talked about how much you guys have played in the second round over the past decade or so. But uh, there's only been one trip for, to the quarterfinals for you guys in that span, and that is back in 2009. I, I know we've talked about what... I don't know what I don't even want to call it necessarily the ceiling for your program or the goal for your program is, you know, maybe a little bit different than someone who's for whom the semifinals is an afterthought or not getting to the semifinals is a disappointment. So what does it take for you guys then to get kind of over the hump and get back into that next level, get to the quarterfinals? Yeah, this is a lot, a lot of good teams out there. And a lot of times it is how you match up. And the one year we did make it to the quarters, we, uh, yeah, we had Hampton City in the first round. We, we flew out to Thomas Moore in the second round, who was an excellent team. But again, physically, I thought we matched up with them from a size and speed perspective. Mm-hmm. Uh, we run into Mount Union and Wesley a couple of times, and, and some of the you know games we didn't play as well as maybe we should have. But uh, you know, our guy, our goal each year is to, to to win the conference championship, get the automatic qualifier, and then see what you got. And uh, no matter what draw you get, you you, you got to beat everyone to win a national championship. And again, I don't think we set our sights there as the season starts, but once you get to the playoffs. It's a matter of a week-to-week uh, season, so you know we've uh, we've been happy with, with how our guys have played. Uh, we're excited to be in the second round, and we know we have a huge challenge this week. Now let's send it to Frank Rossi for the preview of this brackets games. From in the huddle and D3Football.com, I'm Frank Rossi. A year ago in the second round of the NCAA playoffs, five East Region teams still survived heading into Week 13. This year, there are just three East teams left as RPI visits Brockport and South Region Johns Hopkins visits Frostburg State. First, in the Battle of Maryland, it's a matchup of one of the best offenses in the nation against one of the best defenses in the nation. The Blue Jays are number one in the nation in total yardage, averaging over 560 yards per game, with David Tomorrow throwing 31 TD passes over 11 games. Yet the Bobcats have averaged allowing just 252 yards per game, placing them 15th in the nation. Both teams have blown out most opponents this year, with Johns Hopkins having an average point differential of 34 points and Frostburg owning a differential of over 27 points per game. Blue Jays head coach Jim Margraff stated on this podcast that he sees a very fast defensive team and a very aggressive offensive team when he watches Frostburg. That likely accounts for their plus 12 turnover margin this year, and the defensive speed could surprise a Hopkins team that is just plus 2 in 11 games in that category. But Frostburg State head coach Delane Fitzgerald this week called tomorrow the D3 version of Tom Brady, as the Blue Jays have averaged over 350 passing yards per game. If tomorrow doesn't make mistakes and completes his passes, the Bobcats could be put back on their heels early and often in this game. The weather could force more dedication to a running game by both teams as the forecast Saturday calls for freezing rain, some wind, and a high temperature of 38 degrees. 
Both teams have averaged nearly 200 yards per game on the ground this year and allowed about 115 yards. This matchup is one of the most intriguing games this weekend as, on paper, the visiting team seems to have an edge. But we may learn just how good the Centennial Conference is compared with the NJAC as their respective frontrunners will go at it in a game that might be considered a coin toss heading in. On the top half of the bracket, the Battle of New York between RPI and Brockport appears a little less balanced. Brockport has gained an average of 511 yards per game compared to RPI's 371. The good news for RPI is that Framingham State gained 453 yards of offense against Brockport while scoring 27 points on the Golden Eagles. The bad news? Brockport's defense gave up just three rushing yards, and defensive backs Rashad Baker and Carl Robinson, who were injured early in the Rams game, and Jake O'Connell, who was injured in the Utica game, are all expected to be back in the secondary for Brockport. Even worse news for RPI is that wide receiver Tyree Brown may be back in the lineup to give quarterback Joe Germanario one of his favorite targets back at just the right time for the Golden Eagles. Germanario has accounted for 34 touchdowns this season, including eight on the ground, while George Marinopoulos of RPI has 15 passing TDs. Again, the weather in Brockport could provide an X-factor that could help RPI tame the Brockport offense. The high temperature should be 41 degrees, but a rain and wind mix could make throwing the ball a little tougher than normal. RPI is no stranger to playoff challenges with the Engineers in 2017 losing Wesley on the road 45-27 despite holding a lead midway through the second half on the Wolverines. They'll need to capitalize on that experience to have a chance to defeat the number three team in the country Saturday, but their offense will need to overachieve after averaging just 29 points per game this year and heading into a game in which the Brockport defense has given up just nine points per game. On paper, the advantages line up repeatedly in Brockport's favor. But as wise men often say, there's a reason we don't play football games on paper, and Brockport will be in for a challenge against one of the most consistent defenses in the East this season. These teams, despite both being located in New York, haven't played each other in 32 years. Now German Ariel gets to face a school he lived just a few minutes down the road from growing up with a trip to the quarterfinals on the line. Back to two guys who should release a new podcast every day, Pat and Keith. I do not get paid nearly enough to do this every day. Besides, I might soon be doing a podcast about water filtration or something. If you're super, super curious, you can watch my LinkedIn profile. Time for On the Spot. All right. I want you to tell me who will be the individual passing and rushing yard leaders in week 13. Individual passing and rushing yard leaders in week 13. Ooh, what if it was the same guy? No, no, no. Um, man, this is good because there are, there are really a lot of great passers left. In fact, every game, I'm just glancing at this, um, every great game has a, has a, a great passer. So maybe not the, the Whitewater-St. Norbert game, and we don't know if both backups will be getting the majority of playing time in Mount Union Center, so I'll rule those out for the, for the leading passer. I would like to say... Um, Brock Rudder, but I don't know. I mean, personally, I don't know what the quick hits breakdown is going to be, but I think Bethel could be a road favorite in that game. Uh, Mary Harden Baylor probably won't won't pass all that much. Um, it's basically a talk myself into Connor Cox or or David Tamaro from Frostburg and Johns Hopkins in that game could very well be a shootout. Uh, Joe Germanario from Brockport. We haven't really said a lot about uh, the Brockport RPI game, but that could actually be one of the uh, one of the pretty good games uh, as well. And then you got to love uh, Jackson Erdman. And I think I'm going to go there for passer because last – what's the stat? Like last six quarters he's played is 13 touchdowns, something like that. And he hasn't he – didn't, he didn't have to um, play a whole lot against Martin Luther, but he, he's basically not just peaking at the right time. He, he's on fire lately. So I think I'll go there for passer. And I'll go, um, I'll go Josh Petroselli for, for rusher. Uh, for Mount Union, I think Mount Union gets ahead in that one early and then would like to um, just play defense and run the ball and not put too much on Jake Keeney. Now, if D'Angelo Fulford plays, you can wipe the slate clean on that and we can we can run it back and pick another back. And in that case, I'd probably go with – I like Alex Pete a lot from Whitewater, and I'm really waiting for him to um, – to have a, a a national breakout game. People who watch the WIAC and who watch Whitewater know who he is. I think St. Norbert as well as they played last week and they've played WIAC competition already this season. So it's not, um, they're not completely out of their league, but I don't think, um, I would not be surprised if Alex Pete has a huge game, you know, 150 or more uh, against St. Norbert. Do I need to put you on the spot? If you'd like, I, I understand from last week that this is how we do this in the postseason. 
True. Actually, we've done this every week. Well, I'm going to steal from last week and just make you rank the games in order of, let's say, watchability okay. rather than closest. I guess the way to judge it when we go back and judge this next week is going to be closest final score. But you can take liberties with watchability however you want. Just there are eight games. We got the bracket blitz. So you could you could go back and forth on all of them, but if you didn't have a team, if you weren't going to one of these games, but you, you were interested, uh, what would you advise people to watch first? Start with the eighth, the least most exciting game, and then come to the most exciting game. Okay, I I have totally determined on who my most exciting game is, but uh, I think I'm gonna start at the bottom end. That I'll, I'll start with probably the uh, UW Whitewater St. Norbert game might be the least watchable. The issue being that I don't know if St. Norbert's going to put up enough offense to make it interesting. Uh, it, it will be a challenge for Whitewater just because you don't face the triple option much, especially in this part of the country. So it might take them a little while to, uh, you know, to adjust to that and that sort of thing. But uh, regardless of how, you know, in tune Whitewater's defense is to assignment football, a St. Norbert is going to be facing a, a much faster defense. And I don't think it's going to bode well for them. Also, I think that could be a very short game because Whitewater probably will run the ball quite a bit and St. Norbert will run the ball quite more of a bit, I suspect. Second to last, I think I'm going to go with uh, Mary Harden, Baylor, and Barry. Uh, I kind of threw my opinion into my preview of this game. I think also that, uh, again, uh, you know, Mary Harden Baylor is just in a different classification than Barry is right now. Barry's still building the program. At some point, maybe they'll be in a position to compete in a game like this. I don't think that it's this Saturday. Then we're going to go with the Mountain Union Center game at 6th, I guess, right? or third from the third from the bottom i think it could be entertaining uh center certainly has had the ability to put up some offense if i had the time to just sit down and watch that game i would be interested to see like you mentioned earlier what cal llewellyn does who they match him up against that sort of thing you know is it something where you know they when they throw a bunch of those short dump offs to jared ruth that jared ruth turns into you know six catches for 209 yards you know is that something that that uh, llewellyn takes away or you know, does uh, that sort of thing, or who they match them up against. I think that's the most interesting facet of that game. Not to mention who plays quarterback for either team. The uh, I agree. Oh. Next, I think I go with. You see, now we're getting into games that are going to be pretty good. Um, RPI at Brockport is probably the next one up, or the the fifth one. Um, I think that uh, although I think that RPI has a, a good shot to compete in this game. Um, you know, it's not uh, it's not as it's not a good enough chance for me to put it in my upper tier. Then I'm gonna go with Whitworth at St. John's is probably the fourth most watchable. Which, yeah, I'm gonna go to that game rather than another game which is in relative driving distance and I'm gonna about to deem more watchable, which is uh, Bethel at North Central. Um, I'm interested about the Bethel at North Central game because. Bethel has done some things very, very well. They've played very well defensively over the course of this season. North Central likes to throw the ball. Brock Rudder has been a, a great quarterback for them now in his third season as the starter and uh, just in his junior year. Now I'm left with the the two that uh, will be over by about uh, you know 245 or so on Saturday afternoon. Uh, I think Randolph-Macon at Muhlenberg is the second most watchable, and I think Johns Hopkins at Frostburg is uh, by far and away the uh, has the greatest potential to be entertaining and just to be a lot of fun to watch. Uh, I don't know what the weather will be like, but you remember that there was a snow on the ground in Frostburg last week, um, so that could potentially be a factor. It's up in the mountains a little bit. I was at Frostburg for a game that had snow in May. I was up there for a baseball game back in the in the 90s, and it snowed during that game because that happens in the mountains. But I think that's going to be a, a, a super interesting, hopefully it's a back and forth kind of game that Johns Hopkins at Frostburg State game. So that's kind of where I'm, where I'm leaning and how I would rank the order of those games. Yeah. I, I think that's almost the exact way I would rank them. I'm a, I guess I'm a little higher on the Bethel North central game than, uh, than most folks. And I know you, I saw you guys, uh, although I didn't follow closely, I saw you guys talking in snap and slack about uh, Frostburg and Johns Hopkins. And I think that does have, a lot of things going for it, right? You got the two great quarterbacks, high-powered offenses, and uh, two teams that have played really well. 
all season. Johns Hopkins coming off a, a fairly easy 49-0 first round win. Um, but the thing I like about it that this, this adds a little bit to it, we talked earlier on the pod about how these Thanksgiving crowds can be a little lackluster. Well, Johns Hopkins is in Baltimore. Frostburg is uh, in Western Maryland, but not too bad of a drive. Uh, so I think you get a pretty good crowd on both sides out there, and uh, you're going to get a shootout. We actually have a few games where you could get some some decent um, representation from the um, visiting side. RPI folks can get to Brockport, although those aren't really super close places in New York. Uh, Center is in Kentucky and can get to Ohio, although, again, Mount Union is in the upper east part of Ohio, so the northeast, that's what they call it, huh? That's the geographic term. Uh, it's not a super, it's not a short drive. It's not like just going over the river to Cincinnati, but center folks can get to Mount Union. St. Norbert and Whitewater, again, pretty far apart in Wisconsin, but can make the drive. And then Bethel at North Central. So I think we'll see a good good uh, couple of uh, road crowds. And then Randolph-Macon folks right on uh, I-95, maybe shoot over, what is it, 83? That takes you into Allentown. Uh, so you'll see some some road folks there too. So I think actually one of the cool things about the way the committee put this thing together is we we didn't think the matchups were super in round one, but now you get round two where not only are the games good, but you'll get a chance to have some some uh, some decent crowds at these games as well. There's not much of a spot check to give you off of last week. We didn't really do any predicting out of those games. So we'll just skip ahead to scoring quick hits. Uh, quick hits, of course, are a weekly Friday look at the upcoming set of games. We have six people who predict here in the playoffs not only the outcome of the first round games, but also the scores. Uh, we uh, score them basically in terms of wins and losses. I'm just going to be right up front and say I took some chances and I screwed the pooch. Poor pooch. I'm sorry. That's probably not even the best way to say that. I went 12 and 4. Keith went 13 and 3. Everybody else is smarter than us, as Adam and Ryan got 15 right. Frank and Greg got 14, and so did the uh, Logan Hansen ratings. What, of course, the other thing is we try to pick how the games will go, right? Not just a, a winner and a loser. So there's this whole list of 16 games here from the first week. Keith, do we want to run through them? Might as well, just to, you know, one line on, on what we thought was going to happen and what we what actually happened because it'll give a little insight um, to our listeners when they look at quick hits this week, how most of the picks will be right, but there'll be a couple stinkers in there. Yeah. So uh, Mary Harden Baylor won by 21. Adam was uh, right on, on that. Barry won by 31 points. I was the outlier in that I picked Barry by 25 and that was the closest St. John's by 78. You could kind of just name the margin there. Adam predicted it would be by 63, but we all predicted it would be a high scoring uh, lopsided game. Whitworth won by 42, and uh, Ryan Tips had picked it would be by 39. Uh, Whitewater won by 53. I had said it would be by 46. St. Norbert won by 24. Obviously, nobody thought it would be a blowout, but uh, Ryan had the largest margin as uh, having the Green Knights winning by 7. North Central won by 52. Adam said it would be by 43. Bethel won by 27. That's one of the big surprises of the first round, just the margin. Adam and Keith had uh, Bethel favored by 11 apiece and i think out of those those first eight picks the the surprise was the saint norbert win adam and ryan were right on it so if you're looking for a voice to trust this week you could you can uh pick at ryan tips picks and adam turr's picks i'm putting all the pressure on them see pat we're playing <laughs> from behind here we're, we don't we don't we're good we can take a few risks <laughs> i like that uh on the right hand side of the bracket uh mount union by 60 ryan had said it would be by 56 and frank said it would be by 64 i i should have put prices right rules on here center won by 41 nobody thought that uh, center would win by more than seven uh, Randolph Macon won by three. Nobody thought that uh, Randolph Macon would win at all. Everybody's over. Greg thought that John Carroll would only win by 18, and I guess that makes him the closest. Uh, Muhlenberg won by seven, and that is what I had predicted. The uh, right bottom bracket. Brockport won by 13. Keith was the closest, picking them by 28. We all thought it would be a little further apart than that. RPI won by 24. I had them by 13. Frostburg State by 18, and Keith had them by 28, and Johns Hopkins by 49 in a game where they could kind of just name their score, and Ryan Tips said it would be by 38. Yeah, and of that group of eight, the the good pick I think that everyone made is we all went with uh, with Muhlenberg on the road mm -hmm. uh, against Delaware Valley. A team was ranked higher in the poll, and 
again, you know, was at home, but we saw the potential with Muhlenberg and uh, almost didn't come true. It took to that, that 30, <laughs> 35 second mark where they, uh, where they had the, the pick six, but uh, it turned out to be a good pick. And then nobody, not even the Randolph Macon graduate saw the, uh, the, the RMC win out at John Carroll. It's certainly the big shocker, the first round, probably the biggest shocker as we can remember in the past several first rounds. But, um, I, I and, and I think the Brockport and Frostburg state scores, probably no real reason to be concerned. Um, but we we thought those would be big wins, you know, for me to have the closest picks on those and those and, and the picks be by 28. And they were uh, Frostburg won by 18, Brockport by 13. I think as uh, surprising or misleading, I, I can tell you which. Yeah, I, I was surprised by both of those results. I We had talked about, uh, and I mentioned it in the playoff capsules, that uh, Framingham would provide a better first-round opponent for Brockport out of the MASCAC than Plymouth State did last year. I didn't expect it to be a two-score game. It only got to be a two-score game, of course, at the end. I'm also surprised by Frostburg State only, uh, only beating Western New England by 18. And I heard... Uh, uh, Delane Fitzgerald's uh, post-game interview, the the Bobcast, they call it. It's their podcast uh, with uh, all the head coaches at Frostburg State. And uh, I was, I thought that maybe that was another instance where his team doesn't come out fired up. And uh, he said that in the post-game news conference. Um, and I'm just repeating what I said on the Monday podcast. So go listen to 225 because this is 226. And you can well, see 227 is next week. You have to pull a drop from um, Marla, Marla Maples and Jackie Harry. You know, it's coming. You know, it's coming. You can see, uh, speaking of what's coming, you can see uh, quick hits on the website by noon on Friday. And we'll have the predictions of all of those eight games that we just talked about. And this was D3Football.com Around the Nation podcast, number 226, released on November 23rd of 2018. Thanks for listening, and keep an eye on our coverage this weekend, especially the Bracket Blitz. you got to watch that because I know it will be on my screen even when I'm in the press box at St. John's. Also, make sure I get there an hour early so that I can get all the noon kickoffs. Let me stat boy myself before it's too late. It's Marla Gibbs, man. Marla Maples was one of Donald Trump's wives. It's hard to keep track. Uh, if you like our podcast, please consider rating it at Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you get podcasts. We're trying to get back into we're trying to get into iHeart. I don't know why uh, they they have this big thing about oh we have all these podcasts, but you have no real way for us to submit our podcasts. So that's unfortunate. Uh, regardless, give us a rating somewhere that will help other fans find it. You can also leave comments for us on the blog page or hit us up in Twitter. We'll talk about that in a minute. The executive producer of the D3Football.com Around the Nation podcast is Pat Coleman. Production assistance provided by Dave McHugh. Our theme music is by DJ Mentos. You can find him at DJMentos.com. Thanks to our correspondents, Adam Turr and Frank Rossi, plus our guests, Jim Margraff and Rod Sandberg, as well as sports information directors, Ernie LaRosa and Steve Flegel for their time on this edition of our show. And of course, thanks to the creator of Around the Nation on D3Football.com and my co-host, Keith McMillan. You can reach us to talk more about Division Three football on Twitter using the D3FB hashtag. I'm at D3Football and Keith is at D3Keith. We have a message board devoted to Division Three sports. Did you know? Join the conversation by registering a post at D3Boards.com. Also, you can follow D3Football.com on Facebook. Man, you know I lock the door at the top of the steps every podcast. So for 220, whatever, however many of those have been done in this house. <laughs> I think I must have went up there right before we started and, and left the crack. Cats are crafty, man. But she might have just opened a door with her paw. She had opinions on the on the Mountain Union Center game. Uh, we all have opinions on the Mountain Union Center game. She said, "Take the Purple Raiders and the points." Thank you. Thank you so much, everybody.